The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. We've got a fantastic show in store for you today. Sterling Burnett, Ph.D. Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute, gives an overview of the affordable clean energy rule and how it impacts coal and natural gas. Other energies as well. We talked to, of course, solar and wind get brought into the conversation. This is the ACE, Affordable Clean Energy, that was in the news last week. And, well, it seems like it's in the news every single week with the new Green Deal. So we talk about that as well, how it's going to impact a lot of different things. Folks, if this is real, if this is happening, hold on to your knickers, your hats, your boots, whatever you got to hold on to because... Trying to get society off of fossil fuels in 10 years, that's that I, I don't even know if that's actually the laws of physics can allow that. Uh, we can barely get roads done in you know 10 years. And fiber optics, I think they're still trying to get those in and sewage and, and, and everything else. Now we're gonna completely change how we you know take pipes, for example. How are you going to make PVC pipes without fossil fuels? So then we got to go redo all the piping. I mean, it's just, it ripples and ripples and ripples. So we just have a conversation, actually, with uh, Sterling Burnett, Dr. Sterling Burnett, uh, with the Heartland Institute about the ACE uh, Affordable Clean Energy Rule and how what's going on with all that. So, uh, folks, here it is, the man, the myth, the legend himself, with the Heartland Institute, Dr. Sterling Burnett. Just it seems like the government kind of is not as collaborative as it was before with the um, oil and gas industry to now it's like a war type of a thing. My point is, <laughs> should they reinvent PR is where, where, we're, where I'm going. I don't going. know. I, I can't speak to PR. Yeah. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a marketing guy. I'll say this. I think for far too long, rather than fighting, they've tried to get along. I mean... They they spend millions of dollars supporting environmental groups that are trying to kill them. They give money, hoping to buy them off. They say things like, "We're clean too. We are good guys." You know, rather than going out and defend, you know, not defending because they shouldn't have to defend themselves. Rather than going out and saying all the good things our energy system does, how it provides the food on your table every day, how it doesn't get to market without the tractor trucks, without the without the. Uh, uh, the tractors themselves, without the the fertilizers and the fuel, with saying you don't live without our product. We're not bad guys. We're good guys, and we're tired of trying to say, "Oh, we're good too." You know, uh, paying off Sierra Club, paying off the Natural Resources Defense Council, hoping that if you give them money, 
they'll stop attacking you. They won't. They, you know, it, they're like... I don't know. I, I just it's, think... It's, it's, like Cong- it's like Congress asked, you know, imagine you're on... Uh, you're, you're testifying before Congress, and a congressman asks you, have you stopped beating your wife yet? And your reply is, you know, you're already in a bad spot because it implies that you beat your wife, even if you don't. Now, you can respond, I don't beat my wife, sir, and I won't dignify that with an answer. Well, that's what they do with the oil industry or the natural gas industry. They say, have you stopped polluting yet? Have you stopped killing the planet? And rather than say, we don't kill the planet, we're not polluting, what they say is, we're getting better all the time. We're beating our wife less. And next year, we'll be beating her even less than this year. If that's what they do. Well, this they is... Say, oh, this... yes, we're, 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 we're constantly innovating. We're constantly cleaning up. Rather than saying, you know what? The emissions from our plant right now aren't killing anyone. This is really Not important part to, to air pollution significantly. Yeah, this is this is a really port, important point that you have here, which is they've controlled the narrative for a long time, and the oil and gas industries allowed them to, to the tune to where, previous to our interview here, uh, we kind of were just amazed, just dumbfounded that uh, two legitimate presidential candidates. Now, I we don't think anybody's going to beat Trump. That's a politician in the next election, but. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are legitimate Democratic candidates. And to actually have two legitimate candidates say they're going to ban fracking as a platform is, is, is pretty much crazy in terms of an actual definition in the dictionary. So we were kind of joking that that fringe candidate that uh, um, you know wants to legislate dragons because he's a big Game of Thrones fan and he wears his Merlin hat and what's his name? <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Supreme Vermin or whatever his name is. Anyway, you know the fringe candidates that run every year, they actually have a better platform than the than the ban the fracking and the fact that the media is allowing that to go on is 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 unbelievable because if you took away drilling, it would be the Walking Dead without zombies in three days. the 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 economy would go overnight; would just become an uproar. It would just it, you could. I, I, Anyway, go, I think go you're on. being unfair. I think you're being unfair to Bernie and 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 Elizabeth Warren because you're 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 singling them out when in fact every senator, as far as I can tell, running for the presidency right now, and many of the former governors or governors that are running for the presidency right now support the Green New Deal that that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Ed Markey of Massachusetts brought up. The Green New Deal is a complete socialist takeover of the economy. You don't have to ban fracking because they ban fossil fuel use. <laughs> it's not a matter of fracking. It's a matter of ending the use of fossil fuels in this country in 10 years. And coming into every home and business, every home and business, all structures, to ensure that they are upgraded for the most efficient technologies, forcing every homeowner and business owner to change their homes. And for some of these homes, you know, they're just going to have to be knocked down because they can't be upgraded in that fashion. 400-year homes that have been around since the late 1600s, early 1700s on the Northeast Coast, you're not going to make them energy efficient that way. So you just knock them down. Buildings, you just knock them down. This is their goal. This is their platform. So it's not just, uh, it's not just uh, Bernie and Warren. It's the vast majority of the candidates because – 
anyone who supports the Green New Deal is going much farther than banning fracking. They're banning the use of fossil fuels entirely. And you said in 10 years that in the Green New Deal is supposed to phase out? By 2030. By 2030. That, that's not even possible. That's in the, that's, that's in the plan. No, it, it's not. I, I've actually written about how it is impossible. Is, is, you, would have to imp, you would have to depopulate so, entire developing countries to bring in the labor to string all the wires, to lay all the rails, because they want to get rid of uh, air flight. They want, they want just rails. To, to build the new factories, to build all the solar panels and the wind turbines. You know, there's not enough labor here, even with all the oil and gas workers and coal workers you put out of business. So is this what they're, I've had a few off the, you know, record conversations over a few highballs, you know, at the, at, at the lounge later at night where they're talking about how these, this Green New Deal is basically rolling the dice that the exponential history behind Silicon Valley is going to find its way into the solar and wind industry in order to make this happen. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Is that, I mean, do you understand what I just meant by that? To where no, I, I understand what you're saying, but I just think it's not enough. And, that, not and that's enough. not even enough? <laughs> even, that's yeah, like no, next to enough. impossible off of sheer think physics. About, think, think about, <laughs> think about, that, that's it. It's the sheer physics. It took 400 years. Dr. Burnett, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Spies. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. (laughs) This is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? You need a raise. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. Think about, think about, that's it. It's the sheer physics. It took 400 years to build the uh, housing, uh, the, the present state of housing in this country in 10 years we've got to remake it all it took 100 years to build the transportation infrastructure the roads the electricity infrastructure the wires the sewage infrastructure 
you know, the pipes. It took a hundred years. We got to do it all over in 10 years. <laughs> you know, you, that's the Green New Deal. So, it, and, and they're not, not going to use nuke. They, they, they don't want nuke either. Even though nuclear is reliable, uh, the waste could be stored in one single location if politicians would get off their butts and allow it to be stored there. Um, <laughs> you, it, it, it's crazy. And yet, like I said, it's not just Warren and Bernie. These guys are out there on the campaign trail. Cory Booker, Klobacher, um uh, you know, pick your Senate candidate that's running for president, Kamala Harris. They all support the Green New Deal. Now, what's funny, I want you to think about this. What's funny is um, uh, Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, called the bluff. He brought the Green New Deal up for a vote. And you know what happened? Even the sponsors, all the people that supported it, it didn't receive a single vote in its favor in the Senate. Not a single person would go on record as voting for that steaming pile. Uh, instead, its supporters just voted present. Well, that tells you how much they think the Green New Deal, uh, you know, the reality of the Green New Deal. It's a talking point. Do they, do, do they even have a plan on how they're going to make solar panels? Because last time I checked, you need a lot of fossil fuels to make solar panels. <laughs> and, and the rare earths. Like I said, uh, well, I mean, just uh, it's just it's it's the most crazy um, backwards herd uh, herd mentality I've, I've ever seen. I mean, it's what like think, we, we can we kind of joke on our program like, you know, I, I grew up with the Ed Bagley Jr. who I respected. That guy drove around in a methane powered car and he was trying to walk the walk and talk the talk. Yeah. And then it came to where people wanted to ban plastic bags and straws. And now we're just going to apparently ban the whole industry. So I, 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 you know, from Ed Bagley Jr. to today, they've lost their way. They've just lost their way. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's madness and it, it it's, 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 it's scary because it's, it's getting into our schools, you know, uh, schools are, are, Using curriculum that train kids to be little activists. Mm -hmm. Not it, it, schools aren't teaching them how to think, which is what schools should be doing. They should be in the business of educating children to have a basic knowledge of the universe and how to think for themselves, to weigh evidence, to carry out experiments, to uh, uh, make logical arguments, but not telling them what to think. I tell Instead, my school now, schools nowadays are doing just the opposite. They're not teaching them how to think. They're teaching them what to think. They want little activists. They want they they want doctrinaire activists that don't think for themselves, but tote the party line. In this case, that fossil fuels are bad, that modern civilization is evil, that socialism is good, <laughs> and it's scary. Well, I, I I don't know about that, but I certainly would agree to the point to where I tell my son all the time, he's 13 and I've been telling him this. He was, a, he was a Montessori kid for the first uh, eight years. And then he went to public school and public school is a lot different than, than a Montessori where Montessori is, is, you know, you go out in the woods and you learn and you go and, you know, you experience things and, and that sort of environment. It's a lot like a homeschool mentality. Public school is a lot different. I said, well, public schools are more like training centers. They're training you for something. And it just depends on whatever they're training you for 
at that year. I said, but it's not as it's not an education facility at all. It's a training center. And he's after the third year, he goes, I know what you mean, Dad. They just boss me around all the time. And so uh, you're right as far as they they're doing more of train. Um, um, telling people what to think instead of teaching them how to critical think. That's what I've, my, my, our observation has been that it's too bad. Anyway, sorry. I just had to validate your story there with my uh, real life anecdote. I did want to ask you if the, the green new deal and this uh, overview, you know, this ACE had any correlation, if they were going to impact each other, if they're going to play along or, or if they're, if the one thing really doesn't have anything to do with the other. No, no, no. Ace, Trump does not support the Green New Deal. He is, uh, you know, not just opposed, but strongly, violently opposed to the Green New Deal. Ace is his response to the Clean Power Plan, which, according to the Green New Deal, wouldn't have gone far enough. Uh, You know, the Green New Deal is, you know, doubles and triples the Clean Power Plan, which Trump rejected. He's replacing the Clean Power Plan with the American with the Affordable Clean Energy Act re- regulation is not an act, it's not a, a law, it's a regulation coming out of EPA. And um, it, it's intended to um, reduce carbon dioxide emissions, but do it in a way that's both legal, which the CPP was arguably not legal. The Supreme Court put a hold on it while uh, 28 states and so have challenged it. Uh, but it's also less onerous on uh, the coal industry, on the coal-fired power plants, and that allows states more flexibility to how to meet the goals of reducing carbon dioxide emissions by improving efficiency rates. To the, to, 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 to some extent, like I said, ACE is mar- remarkably or markedly better than the clean power plan it's replaced. There's no question about that less costly it's less onerous it's probably legal it'll be challenged but I, I doubt that it will be successfully challenged at least by people opposed to it because they support the clean power plant there are people on my side who may challenge it for other reasons whether they'll be successful or not i don't know um but um it still imposes new cost on industry and that's going to hurt and it's for as far as I can tell, you know, based on my assessment of the science, for no good reason, because carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. When I exhale, I'm not polluting. The trees thank me for it. The the grass thanks me for it. The animals that rely on the trees and the grass and the flowers thank me for it. Uh, and the crops, the, the record crop yields that we set year over year, are thankful for it. We're greening the earth as we increase carbon dioxide. A lot of people don't realize this, uh, but this is just a fact. You can check your, you know, your, your whatever scientific uh, history you want to look at. During the middle of the last ice age, carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere reached about 180 parts per million. Over, over millions and billions of years, we've slowly been drawing down the carbon dioxide of the atmosphere. Sometimes in the past, it's been 5,000 parts per million or more. We were down to 180 parts per million. At 150 parts per million, plants can no longer photosynthesize. In other words, they die. And when plants die, we all die. So we came out of a little ice age, 
and CO2 levels rebounded up to 280 parts per million. And since that time, we've added about 130 parts per million, 140 parts per million. I think we're 405 parts per million now. That is not destroying the planet. Dr. Burnett, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. So here's to all of the good thinkers, and here's to the lonely drinker, but don't you know. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. So we came out of a little ice age, and CO2 levels rebounded up to 280 parts per million. And since that time, we've added about 130 parts per million, 140 parts per million. I think we're 405 parts per million now. That is not destroying the planet. Dr. Sterling Burnett is our guest. Uh, Just kind of wrapping up here, we're talking a little bit about the kind of reactions to the ACE the new, and that stands for Affordable, Affordable Clean, clean Energy. energy okay, Affordable Clean Energy Regulation cool. Rule. Uh, Dr. Burnett is with the, he's a senior fellow with Heartland. And uh, I, how, how long have you been with them? Uh, it will be five years in August. Okay, and you do the uh, environmental policy and managing editor of the Environmental Climate News. Is that still the case down there? I, I'm, the, I'm the managing editor of Environment and Climate News, and we publish a weekly newsletter called Climate Change Weekly, three times a month that I'm in charge of. And can anybody sign up for it? Give, uh, give that thing a plug. Maybe there's some people that might want to... www.heartland.org. Go to our website, sign up for that. Sign up for 
the Environment and Climate News, the Climate Change Weekly, and if you're interested in matters beyond energy and environment, uh, if you're interested in budget and tax issues, if you're interested in health care issues, if you're interested in constitutional issues, sign up for our other newspapers and newsletters. And you mentioned that you guys are primarily, uh, or not primarily, but w- one of the things that you guys strive for is no subsidies. Talk a little bit about what Heartland Institute does for, for a minute or two. Well, we're a nonpartisan nonprofit based in Arlington Heights, Illinois, and we try and promote uh, uh, innovative private sector solutions to public policy problems. We try and show how markets solve problems. We analyze uh, existing laws to see whether they uh, to some extent are legal, but more importantly, whether they, they make good sense, whether they're reaching the goals that they were intended to reach when they were uh, uh, enacted, whether they are doing so efficiently or whether they, uh, they could be fixed to, make, uh, to solve those problems in a more efficient way, and to show how markets, how the private sector could solve a variety of problems um, that government doesn't need to be involved with. And just kind of some final thoughts here as we wrap up the interview, Dr. Sterling Burnett. Uh, what what do you want people to walk away from about this, uh, you know, this affordable clean energy r- regulation? Well, like I said, when environmentalists heard that Trump was rescinding the CPP, they fell to the ground, frothing at the mouth, you know, howling at the moon, saying. Oh, my God, it's the end of the world. He's going to kill children. He's going to kill us all. He's trying to destroy the planet. Trump doesn't want to destroy the planet. He wants his children and grandchildren to have a better place to live, just like everybody else does. And the, the clean power plan would have resulted in uh, greater economic harm and more premature deaths than the ACEL does. The American clean, uh, the, the affordable clean energy rule will save lives. It will not cost as much as the clean power plan. It is not a rollback of environmental protections because there's no evidence the clean power plan was going to do anything about protecting the environment. Dr. Burnett, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. and we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Coming back home. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you will let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Give me your name, company, and who you, what you're cooking today. Well, I'm uh, Nathan Burgess, and my wife works as the uh, sales manager for Tampa Suites by Marriott. It's a new hotel in Dickinson. 
Well, well, you're not employed by them. You're just so you're a ringer. I'm, I'm just a drafted, yes. <laughs> so what are we cooking today? Uh, well, we did two things. I did the pulled pork, and the manager did a uh, pulled chicken. And give us a little bit of an overview of uh, what, how you went about doing it, the preparation, the time, the temperature. Uh, working out all week, you know, uh, did a nice uh, overnight brine with uh, vinegar, salt, stuff, basic. Then, uh, you know, did the standard rub, then let it go about 12 hours in the smoker. Did you, did you rub and then marinate it or put it in right after the rub? I uh, rubbed and put it in the fire, but I brined it for oh, yeah. overnight, for 24 hours. How long have you been cooking? Oh, you know, 20 years. Okay. Um, what kind of advice would you give somebody who is a young aspiring or an old aspiring pitmaster? Uh, don't do 100 pounds. <laughs> Keep it to like 10 and focus on it. Time or temperature, what's more important? Or do you need both? You need a little bit of both. Plenty of smoke. So you get plenty of flavor and a good... And then you can go a little, slow, a little cooler, a little longer. Do any side dishes? I didn't. I, I only had time for the pork because we did about 150, which is about uh, did about 10 pork butts. How about when it comes to, are you using any uh, hickory, mesquite, applewood, charcoal? I used uh, apple out of my yard, so homegrown. That makes it a little more personal. Yeah, yeah, and then, you know, just standard charcoal, so. All right, uh, any, any final tips or recipes or, you know, outside of what you're doing here, like what's your favorite thing? Oh, uh, geez, I don't even know. You know, uh, I love a pork, a pork butt. I, you know, I love to game, especially on fish, same way. Uh, it's a good way to keep it tender and moist for when you're, uh, you've are you had a deer or uh, antelope or something. It's a great way to cook it up. You ever, you ever barbecue pheasant? Oh, yeah. Pheasant's great that way, too. Anything there? Like I said, well, a good thing with pheasant or even venison is uh, do a ma- milk-based marinade. Use, uh, like, a dry milk. And then just hydrate it, add all your spices you like, garlic, onion, salt, pepper, you know, any other spices you like. Let it sit for at least, you know, four hours, and then okay. put it on the grill. Thank you, sir. No problem. All right, so what's your name and who you cooking for today? Hey, I'm Bram Laster. I live in Cody, Wyoming, and I'm cooking for MBI out here tonight. You're the gentleman they brought up from Cody, Wyoming. I, I interviewed... Uh, Tiffany Steiner and Jack Jackie Schmidt a week ago, and they said they were bringing up somebody from Wyoming. So you're the ringer, and uh, what was it that you're cooking today? Well, we're doing hickory smoke briskets. I'm originally out of Texas, so that's kind of where I learned and picked up the art of briskets. Why hickory? Well, <clears throat> mesquite tastes like mesquite. <laughs> Okay, that makes sense to me. Uh, how about any, any um, without giving away any trade secrets, how did you prepare it? Uh, was there a marinade? Was there a rub? Was there a, a slow uh, temperature? Yeah, I use a dry rub that's actually out of Texas. It's main ingredients, brown sugar. But I smoke everything at 230 degrees, and these briskets, they run 12, 14 hours for this match. How long does the whole process take? Yeah, like say 12, 14 oh. hours. And and then um, what temperature do you keep it at? You said 230? Yeah. And then uh, for, for the 1230, anything else you're cooking today besides a brisket? No. Uh, actually, they fixed up some stuffed uh, bell peppers, and I put them in there to Those are good. heat them up and make the 
bell peppers a little crispy for them. I just had some. They were delicious they, uh, with the rice in it. And um, how about uh, any tips that you might have for aspiring barbecue pit masters of any age? Okay. Well, uh, secret to a good cook is keep the cook well basted. Keep it well basted? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, of course. But uh, on briskets, you can test when they're done by pushing your finger down on the fat on the top layer on top and It'll be spongy until they're done, and then your finger will just kind of push right through that fat layer. Chickens, when the leg bones get real loose on them, they're done. Ribs, when you get a little bone showing on the ends, they're done. What's your favorite thing to cook? I like briskets or maybe back ribs. My favorites for sure, because I like to eat them too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh, oh, geez, there we go. Not a problem. Shane Weber, cooking for Pioneer Wireline. Last name Weber, so do you get those jokes often when you're cooking? Not yet. People ask if you got a Weber grill, yada yada. Okay, so what is it that you cooked today? We cooked uh, St. Louis style ribs. Explain uh, how the process works for, say, like the St. Louis style versus a regular style. Uh, I think the baby back is closer to the loin. St. Louis style's uh, farther down the rib. Uh, we got we trimmed them up, we got them dry rubbed, uh, got them on a smoker. Uh, we're cooking ours with applewood. Um, nothing fancy, a simple dry rub, and, and that's what we're going for today. Uh, do you do a, a marinade, or is it just a dry rub, you put it on? How long do you cook them for in a temperature, without getting into the, you know too, mu too much of the secrets? Uh, dry rub is all we did. We did not marinate or inject or anything like that. Um, we, cooked, we gave them about two hours of smoke, and then we wrapped them up. And we did not put any sauce on or anything. We just gave them a dry rub and let the pork flavor come through, hopefully. So, How long have you been cooking? I started barbecuing probably in the last 10 years. So about 10 years ago. So without, again, you don't have to reveal any of your secrets, but let's say somebody's starting out and, uh, you know, a few tips or a few tricks that maybe you could give a, a, an aspiring barbecue pit master of all, any age. I would say figure out your fire first. That's gonna be the most frustrating thing is having charcoal and it doesn't start for you. Once you get it figured out, you get the fire going, it's all downhill from there. How did you get to be the uh, uh, cooker for Pioneer? They volunteered me a couple weeks ago. <laughs> you read? I've been, I've been uh, barbecuing for my family for quite a while and I, I just, I like doing it. So I, everybody knows I like doing it, so they just volunteered me, and I said, yeah, you bet. Do you have any um, um, recipes that, you know, that is your favorite when it comes to barbecuing? Yes. I like, well, we're doing ribs here, but I like brisket. I like putting salt and pepper on it. That's, that's it? it? That's it. Hey, man, you, you sound like a traditional guy. <laughs> Simple flavors work for me. Hey, thanks. Yep, thank you.
So what's your name and who are you cooking for? I'm Josh Franken and I'm cooking for St. Alexis Hospital. What are you cooking today? I'm cooking pork. Um, I've got one tri-tip in there, but I've been doing pork for about 14 hours right now. So describe that 14-hour process. Is there a marinade, an injection, a rub? Uh, well, I, I bought locally here at the worst shop and, uh, you know, the great, great people to work with there and uh, brought the stuff home, I rubbed it all down, let it sit for about a half an hour, um, put it into my smoker last night at 200 degrees, let it smoke for two hours, pull it off of the smoker, put them into roasting pans, let them roast for 10 hours, pull them back off, shred them up, put them back into the smoker and let them smoke now for about another three and a half, four hours. So you almost got a full day into each one of these uh, pieces of pork that people are eating, huh? It's a labor of love, absolutely. <laughs> you can taste the love, that's right. Uh, it looks like you guys got some tortillas. Yes, we do. We're kind of doing a mixture here. We've got a salsa marinade that we're putting on top of it. We've got a corn and a flour shell over here on the uh, on the side that we're putting into them. We've got some different flavors, barbecue sauces that we're using. So kind of doing a tango two-step for people's, uh, people's mouths now right now. Where are you from? I'm right here in Dickinson, South Park. Oh, you're South Hard. Okay, I, I, I love going to the Farmer's Daughters Cafe. There you go. There you go. Uh, how about the uh, um, your background? How did you get uh, to be the cooker? Do you got a background in this, or are you just the guy who barbecues in the backyard the most? Um, actually, I used to run a catering business back in order in Oregon um, before we moved up here about four four years ago. My wife here works for uh, for the hospital and. Um, I've cooked for a bunch of different folks around for the hospital, different functions, um, you know, marathon uh, for tailgating parties. And, uh, you know, when they wanted to do pork, you know, it's my way of helping out with the community, helping out with the hospital. They do a phenomenal job to me, and I want to just kind of help them back. So um, they asked me if I wouldn't mind, mind doing it, and absolutely not a problem. Tips for somebody, without giving away your trade secrets, tips uh, for somebody who's an aspiring uh, pit master of any age. Some of my, my, how I learned was actually a bunch of people would come over to my house. Uh, I used to be a police officer and a bunch of people would come over to the house and uh, loved my food and um, eventually I just kind of picked it up, moved slowly through it, bought things. Now, for somebody who's, who's getting into it, my advice is be patient, slow and, slow and low. It definitely is the secret to, to all kinds of meats. Um, be patient, no peeking. Um, if you're poking in on the meat, you're not smoking on the meat. So really, really be patient that way. Um, and be creative, you know. Um, travel outside of your norm. Explore with different things. But stick with things that do work for you. Cook for what you want. You know, how your, your taste buds are. And uh, people will come. Do you get into the different uh, hickory chips or oh, apple, pecan, or anything like that? Yeah, today I'm, I'm actually did a mixture of be, uh, between pecan and um, hickory. So just kind of hitting it with different two different types of woods. Um, keeping it low, uh, I try not to breach anything above 200 degrees. You know, as we're doing our pork, um, it'll dry it out. Make sure that you really keep things moist in there. I got a water pan in there to kind of keep the steam going inside of the meat to keep it tender. Um, I would encourage people to, to maybe spray the meat periodically. You can use a butter rub or um, an, uh, a cider or uh, apple juice is another good one. Mm -hmm. um, for marinades, you know, explore around. Um, anything poultry, use a sweeter kind of wood, cherry wood, um, apple wood, that kind of thing, uh, pecan. Anything for, for harder meats like uh, beef, tri-tips, briskets, use a hickory or a mesquite. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I'll get a so what's your name and who are you cooking for? I'm Josh Franken and I'm cooking for St. Alexis Hospital. What are you cooking today? I'm cooking pork. Um, I've got one tri-tip in there, but I've been doing pork for about 14 hours right now.
So to describe that 14-hour process. Is there a marinade, an injection, a rub? Uh, well, I, I bought locally here at the worst shop, and uh, you know the great, great people to work with there, and uh, brought the stuff home, I rubbed it all down, let it sit for about a half an hour, um, put it into my smoker last night at 200 degrees, let it smoke for two hours, pull it off of the smoker, put them into roasting pans, let them roast for 10 hours, pull them back off, shred them up, put them back into the smoker, and let them smoke now for about another three and a half, four hours. So you almost got a full day into each one of these uh, pieces of pork that people are eating, huh? It's a labor of love, absolutely. <laughs> you can taste the love, that's right. Uh, it looks like you guys got some tortillas. Yes, we do. We're kind of doing a mixture here. We've got a salsa marinade that we're putting on top of it. We've got a corn and a flour shell over here on the uh, on the side that we're putting into them. We've got some different flavors, barbecue sauces that we're using. So kind of doing the tango two-step for people's, uh, people's mouths now right now. Where are you from? I'm right here in Dickinson, South Park. Oh, you're South Hard. Okay, I, I, I love going to the Farmer's Daughters Cafe. There you go. There you go. Uh, how about the uh, um, your background? How did you get uh, to be the cooker? Do you got a background in this, or are you just the guy who barbecues in the backyard the most? Um, actually, I used to run a catering business back in order in Oregon um, before we moved up here about four four years ago. My wife here works for uh, for the hospital and. Um, I've cooked for a bunch of different folks around for the hospital, different functions, um, you know, marathon, uh, for tailgating parties. And, uh, you know, when they wanted to do pork, you know, it's my way of helping out with the community, helping out with the hospital. They do a phenomenal job to me, and I want to just kind of help them back. So um, they asked me if I wouldn't mind, mind doing it, and absolutely not a problem. Tips for somebody, without giving away your trade secrets, tips uh, for somebody who's an aspiring uh, pit master of any age. Some of my, my, how I learned was actually a bunch of people would come over to my house. Uh, I used to be a police officer and a bunch of people would come over to the house and uh, loved my food and um, eventually I just kind of picked it up, moved slowly through it, bought things. Now, for somebody who's, who's getting into it, my advice is be patient, slow and slow and low. It definitely is the secret to, to all kinds of meats. Um, be patient, no peeking. Um, if you're poking in on the meat, you're not smoking on the meat. So really, really be patient that way. Um, and be creative, you know, um, travel outside of your norm, explore with different things, but stick with things that do work for you. Cook for what you want, you know, how your your taste buds are, and uh, people will come. Do you get into the different uh, hickory chips or oh, apple, pecan, or anything like that? Yeah, today I am actually did a mixture of, uh, between pecan and um, hickory. So just kind of hitting it with different two different types of woods. Um, keeping it low, uh, I try not to breach anything above 200 degrees. You know, as we're doing our pork, um, it'll dry it out. Make sure that you really keep things moist in there. I got a water pan in there to kind of keep the steam going inside of the meat to keep it tender. Um, I would encourage people to, to maybe spray the meat periodically. You can use a butter rub or um, an a, uh, a cider or uh, apple juice is another good one. Mm -hmm. um, for marinades, you know, explore around. Um, anything poultry, use a sweeter kind of wood, cherry wood, um, apple wood, that kind of thing, uh, pecan. Anything for, for harder meats like uh, beef, tri-tips, briskets, use a hickory or a mesquite. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. 
Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 